Hello everybody and welcome to the Goldbridge Saves Football Podcast. What a show we've got for you today. Roasted, robbed because Manchester United have stolen Dan Ashworth from Newcastle. Who would have thought 12 months ago that Manchester United would be on a better trajectory than the multi-billionaires of Newcastle? And what does that mean for Newcastle? We're also going to be talking about the title race. Oh, that's interesting. And we're going to talk about the top five Premier League managers ever. It's been popping off about this. Is it Mourinho? Is it Is it Pep? Is it Klopp? Is it Sir Alex? Yes, but we'll be talking and ranking those as well. Pratt of the Week's massive. Two really big contenders involving ex-legends of the game, I would say. And a lot more. We're also going to tell people who won the trainers, aren't they? And Will's back on a Tuesday. Still hasn't got me a pint, but he has got me a coffee. Yeah, heavy weekend for you. So I thought just a black coffee would do you wonders. Fantastic weekend for me. Blues won, packed out St Andrews. Happy to be here. This is our new home. We're together now. You're real. It's it's just all real. It's fantastic. We are back in the pub if you're watching visually. Um, if you're listening on audio, you're a legend. And uh, we've also got Guess Who a little bit later in the show. But guess what, Will? <laughs> what, Mark? We're going to talk about Newcastle. Oh, God. What is going on? Newcastle have been roasted by Manchester United. Their director of football, Dan Ashworth who's come into that club from Brighton with a great pedigree to rebuild Newcastle and make them one of the biggest clubs in the world, is leaving. He's on gardening leave right now. He didn't have anything to do. He's cutting my, gra- he's cutting my grass, Will. Yeah. I've said, get up on that ladder and clear those leaves out as well. It's been, it's been a lot of leaves falling. But he's on gardening leave. Newcastle want 15 to £20 million pounds or he's going to have two years of gardening leave. That's not going to happen. But the big thing for me is this is massive. Newcastle fans can deny it all they like. Manchester United, Qatar rejected and it's Ineos. And now Saudi owned Newcastle and the massive project and plans they've got how big and impactful do you think this is to Newcastle to lose the guy that's basically building the club in February ahead of what was going to be a big summer for them and could be even a bigger summer for Man United, who, let's be honest, Will, are back? Yeah, well, very frustrating for me because you've walked in cock of the north after the weekend result, but Man United do look like they're back, even with all the sort of rumours of the signings that are looking elsewhere that are going to come in with Dan Ashworth as well. And this is more of a statement signing as well, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Taken from what effectively is a rival at the start of the season. We'd have all agreed, I think you would have as well, that Newcastle is a better project than Manchester United. But as the season's gone on, with how excited were we for the January transfer window? Nothing happened. FFP really kicking into gear. And I think that's where Manchester United are benefiting from this because commercially, they're going to make so much money and Newcastle just have this money that they might not be able to spend as much as they want. No, I think it's absolutely massive. I mean, get your comments in about this because I think this is... It's brilliant for Manchester United. We've been crying out for structure. You've got the CEO coming in from Man City. You've got the director of football coming in from Dan Ashworth. I don't want to celebrate appointments beyond this because for me, it was the CEO and the director of football. People are getting excited about Jason Wilcox and other people. But the CEO, the director of football come in. You keep Ten Hag. You've got youth coming through. You have a good summer transfer window and United is suddenly heading places they've probably not been for a decade. However, what I would say is that for Newcastle, it's not just about Manchester United. It's about Newcastle. I think this is massive for them. You bring somebody in from Brighton who was doing a great job. You've got a massive project. As you said, it's an exciting project. And then suddenly the team that you came fourth, they came third. You were in the Carabao Cup final. Until three or four weeks ago, you're trying to fight to get back in a top four race. And then that club that's gone and won four in a row and sort of like saying, see you later, looking in the the rear view uh, mirror, are going, we'll have your director of football as well. I mean, As a Man United fan, I'm like, get this guy in now because there's three months before the start of the window and that can be, this is crucial time. But for Newcastle, they're sort of, they're left with a pot, left without a pot to piss in really. They're they're sort of like looking at it and going, what, what, what do we do? Yeah, and I think that's the worrying thing because, like you said, it's so close to the the summer transfer window for them and then with what they have with FFP trying to sell the players to Mm. look back on the money, how drastic that is as well. But also, just um, as much as a manager is important now, like that director of football role is in that same vein, isn't it? Because you're not just dictating the first team, you're dictating the youth, you're dictating the transfer policy across everything. So I think it's, that is a just as big appointment as a manager, really. Yeah, and I think for Newcastle fans, I don't think Newcastle are done. I think you've been robbed. I think if this happened to, it sort of happened with Man United and Chelsea in around 2005, Peter Kenyon went and, but football's so much more scrutinised now. It's so, everyone knows who your director of football is and that was a CEO. From Newcastle's 
point of view, I'm what I'm saying is, yes, you can go out and get another director of football. I mean, Man United were looking at Paul Mitchell. There's Berta at Atletico Madrid. There's plenty of good director of footballs out there. The lad, the, the lad that was at Liverpool, I think his name was Edwards. You can go and do that. But when you do that... Everything that Newcastle have done for the last 18 months goes out the window. It's like changing your manager at Man United. Well, does Ganacho, Menu, and Hoyland be part of the plan if you change your manager? And a director of football coming into Newcastle, they'll be able to go and get someone. They're not dead, Will. They're still going to be an attractive proposition. But in February, everything changes now. I mean, a new director of football comes in. It's like having a new wife or husband, let's be honest. It can, it can work both ways, but they might not like... Friday night in watching Netflix. They might not like a lasagna on a Wednesday night. They might be like, we're going out clubbing and we're having a curry. I was just surprised because I still think in terms of the overall package, I don't know the ins and outs of FFPP, but the general rule of thumb for the Premier League era, if you've got more money, you're going to win. Manchester City have done it. Mm. Chelsea have done it. But it does feel like that cap is coming. So Newcastle have all these billions. Surely that's going to play catch up in like, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. But I still think over the next five, ten years, for the sheer amount of, I mean, what's Ineos got? Four, three or four, five, six billion? Yeah. I mean, they've got tens of billions of pounds. So mm. I think Newcastle, as this is probably a short-term loss, They've lost the battle, but I still think they'll win the war. Oh, that's interesting. We'll get in the comments with that. Do Newcastle win the war? Who will be the bigger club in five years? And we're not talking about stadia or fan base. We're talking about the things that really matter, the title, uh, the, the cups. Um, I think this is a fascinating point. So, yeah, big, big signing for Manchester United. I'm not so sure. I think if you'd asked me six months ago, 12 months ago, two years ago, yeah, Newcastle's trajectory is, and I said when they get Champions League football, they will stay in the Champions League. But I actually think it's a big if with Man United, but they've got the CEO, they've got the director of football, they've got the fan base, there's talk of a new stadium, whatever. But I think Man United are always going to be able to compete. And I think it's a bit like signing Mbappe for Arsenal. If Arsenal, if, if Mbappe goes to Arsenal, he's the best player in the world, but that does that make them win the league? Mbappe would be on huge wages. He's a star of the team. I think there is a way in, in the modern game, and we've seen it with Brighton, where teams can be well run and compete against the Man Cities and the Newcastles, as we've seen with Liverpool and Klopp. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating, but Newcastle, I don't know. I think Newcastle have to somehow figure a way to make that money, make them a bigger club than everybody else. And with financial fair play having teeth, it might be quite difficult. Also, they've got to look at how to make more profit. I am a businessman. I've got mm. DM my business studies exam, so don't listen to me. But Manchester United revenues... Um, you know, mm. always through the roof, aren't they? Because the commerciality of it, Newcastle can get to that level, but also they're trying to do these short-term fixes at the moment, aren't they? With like the Saudi airline sponsoring, tick all those ones off. They will get to a stage where, I mean, you even look at America, they say, what is it? It goes Liverpool or Man United and then Wrexham. So commercially, PR-wise, they've got to do so much more to raise that level. And then I think we spoke about Tottenham, how well mm. they're going to do with the stadium stuff. Like, could they come into it a bit more? And I just think the whole thing boils down to that. Like, Dan Ashworth's probably got this absolute gold war chest, which we've not said yet, which is a common phrase when you've got a load of money and he's not been able to use it, has he? No, and I think that's the big thing. Uh, Newcastle got to find a way to get the money in. And then when you get the money in, I mean... It's not like in the modern game, you can just go and buy Haaland, Mbappe. There's accountability. It's going to be really interesting. And I think, as I said, it's a massive... I mean, as a United fan, I can sit here gleefully and say, yes, we've won that battle because we have. There's a war to be won. I take that on board from Will. But it's a huge, huge blow for Newcastle. Man City were really disappointed to lose Barada. Bit more backroom staff for football fans to realise. I think with the director of football, everybody knows what Dan Ashworth's all about. And it and, and it's the blueprint. It's the, it's the recruitment. It's the strategy. It's the way they play. It's their next five years. That's going to change for Newcastle now. And it's a huge, huge thing. But as you know, sometimes your wife leaves you, you go and marry a supermodel. Yeah, I would, I'm just... Think, or husband. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get those in. Do you think it's going to be difficult for Newcastle to attract a level of director of football like Dan Ashworth going forward? No, I don't. I actually think that this could be a good thing for Newcastle in the, in the short term. I think they will be able to go and attract many of the people out there, many of the names we haven't even mentioned. They could go to AC Milan or Juventus or PSG or... Barcelona and get their director of football they could go and do that um, the money's there for Newcastle to do it it's not financial fair play restricted to go and spend your money on your backroom staff so I think that they can go and do that 
but I think it sets them back. I mean, I'd be very interested to see what people say in the comments, especially in relation to who's on the better trajectory in the short term, it's United, but how are, are, are Newcastle on the better trajectory long term? I think the issue is Dan Ashworth's probably looking at a five to 10 year plan there and he's put things in place around the structure, the recruitment, where they're looking at and suddenly that's gone. I, I, I just think in the modern game, that is a huge blow for Newcastle and it's all it's not quite a reset, but but it is in the sense of, right, we had a plan. What's the plan now? Do you think it's a bit of a sad thing in the modern game that we get excited about these appointments that are boardroom level? I do think with CEOs, it's important. I think with directors of football, if you run your club properly, like Liverpool have, like Arsenal do, like Brighton did and are, and like um, Manchester City do, the director of football, if you do it properly, is a modern position that some fans don't acknowledge because maybe it's not as big, but at the big clubs, it really is. And you'll have them at other clubs as well. And you look at Brentford's recruitment. This is a way that you recruit players and players play for your football club. And it's also, it's about the youth. We've not mentioned that as well. Yep. It's about how you play. So I think the director of football is always and should always be above the manager anyway. So they're saying no to the manager when they say this. They're saying yes to the manager. They're saying, what are we doing here? So I think that, yeah, there is a bit of an obsession about fitness coaches and medical guys, but I think the director of football sets the standard and the vision of the footballing side at the club um, in a less commercial way, in a less budget way. It's actually about real recruitment, how you're going to play. And that Newcastle have just lost that in February. How do you turn that around? How do you get somebody in quick enough? Yeah. It's going to impact their summer transfer window. They might have money, but I'd, if I was in Newcastle's position now, I don't know how I'd spend it because I'd be like, do I want to go and spend £150 million on what Dan Ashworth's plans were? Because they'll have the blueprint. Yeah. Or do I go, I need to get someone in and go with theirs. And then someone else comes in. Can you get them in now or have you got to wait till the summer? If you wait till the summer, you've lost the summer transfer window. If you get them in now, they've got a very, very quick turnaround. So it'd be very interesting to just watch this space. But the, the interesting thing is it's a major coup for Manchester United. Yeah, I'm just worried personally, actually, because obviously we've got Craig Gardner in at Blues as technical director if Newcastle comes sweeping for that. I mean, it's, there's so many dominoes effects and knock-on effects of how this could affect all of us, really, isn't there? There is. Let us know what you think. Where next for Newcastle? Where next for Manchester United? Right. Um, I, I can't wait to talk about top five Premier League managers ever but let's talk about because there are games midweek when we're listening to this podcast or yes. watching it there are games this week probably home bankers for Man City and Liverpool but the title race is really hotting up and um, Man City dropped the points out of the three dropped the points dropped them at home as well mm. against a Chelsea side that we said have slightly turned the corner I thought on the counter they look mm. apart, if Nicholas Jackson wasn't a striker. He, absolute fantastic performance, wasn't it? Like the link-up play, Cole Palmer going back to the Etihad. Counter-attacking, they look great. Defensively, obviously a little bit better. Haaland had so many chances, which I'm going to put myself in Pratt of the Week. Forgot to do triple captain, but it has benefited me so far. Yeah, I never even thought about doing triple captain for him, so I'm hoping he doesn't score many against Brentford now because that's a real big differential, isn't it? But uh, I think the result was right, 1-1. I've got to say, and I'm going to be fair here, I've not said it anywhere else. Go I didn't on. say it on TalkSport. I've not said it on the filling. I've not said it on that football. So it's a podcast exclusive. If I was Manchester United, if it was Man United, 1-1 with Chelsea at home and that ball lands on Colwell's arm, I'm saying yeah. penalty. I'm so glad it wasn't because yeah. I think we've seen with Liverpool's onside, with the push in the back on Gabriel, they're two big decisions that we could be talking about in May. I don't want to be adding another one in where it's like, you know, I'm glad it wasn't given, but I never stick up for City. Um, but we should do because it's a podcast that's about everybody. I've got to say for City... I'd be screaming for a penalty. I mean, he's pulling him a bit anyway. Then it's landed on his arm and rolled down it. I think it touches the Man City player's arm a little bit. And I'm really glad it wasn't given because I thought a, a draw was right. But you, yeah, you could you could argue that they maybe could have got a penalty there. But for the for the title race, it's brilliant. Yeah, well, it comes off the back of that Sheffield United-Luton decision as well, doesn't it? Which people were comparing. But yeah, for the title race, brilliant. Manchester City points dropped at home with Rodri so before we always put these caveats in don't we like oh Rodri's out mm. they're, they're away this that and the other but they've dropped points the title race is looking sexy and then I mean you speak about the caveats of Manchester City Liverpool lunchtime Jota goes off injured Nunes goes yeah. off injured so many injuries they dealt with it so good Salah coming on not fully fit and I was going to wax lyrical about Liverpool but the Brentford defenders mm -hmm. I mean 
that three or four of them could go in Pratt of the Week because it was absolutely awful, wasn't it? At the back? Yeah, yeah. And I think that it, I don't think 4-1 really was a reflection of the game. I watched it. I mean, I think Liverpool had the more difficult game uh, being away. Yeah. Um, and Brentford at home can be quite good, but they, they didn't really look very... Um, clinical in the final third because they started off quite well and then defensively at least two of the goals are just you know you know that circus last one defending. honestly is like you know when you play Sunday league and mm. you've all been out on the piss the night before one one mistake the other mistake but they dealt with it and even the subs coming on I think Jota's injury looks bad doesn't it mm. and then Turf Moor Arsenal absolutely walloped Burnley from yeah. start to finish yeah they were they were good we're going to talk a little bit more about Saka in the Pratt of the Week contender because there's some weird stuff going on around Saka and Doku being better or Saka not being world class but Arsenal 11 goals in the last two games they've boosted the goal difference um, they're, they're, they are looking very very good where do you go um, and obviously get in the comments below uh, where do you go with Arsenal um, Liverpool and Man City at the moment who is your favourite has it, has it narrowed in have you changed because we've always been City mm. but um, um, you know, fixture-wise, it really is starting to look like Arsenal at the Etihad and, and Man City at Anfield. Yeah. Um, can I shock you? I've got a new favourite. Go um, it's Big Ange and Tottenham. No, it's not. I'm going to go for I've Liverpool. I just feel I've been on the train this morning. I'm jumping on a momentum train with Liverpool. I just feel everything's clicking for them. Arsenal. But you're on a train that was going to Liverpool and you got off at Birmingham. So what does that mean? So you're not I'll, on the you're not on the train. But then to I was going to go to Manchester, but I've said I'll go to Manchester, but then go on to Liverpool. Go back to London, I'm yes, Arsenal. I don't know what's going on right now, um, but no, I'm on the train to Liverpool. Just to be clear, because I think the momentum's with them. I think Arsenal doing really well last couple of games, but the thing that we've said, the rest really benefited them yeah, this yeah. week. Champions League football starts. They're away in Porto, which we know tough mm. place to go. Then we're back to Tuesday, Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays. They could go far in the Champions League, but. I'm just really keen to see, especially this week, how that affects their title contention. They've got three tricky away games. I think they've got Spurs away, City away, United away in yeah. that running. So then Manchester City is probably a bit of a fear of like, I don't want them to run away with it as yeah. well. But they are faltering at home. So then full attention, Liverpool. Klopp's last season. Europa League, if they want to rotate, they can because they're not bothered about it. They've got the Cup Finals, which I think they'll win uh, in the Carabao Cup, still in the FA Cup, can benefit them. I just think I'm fully on the Liverpool Klopp Express. There you go. And he's been slagging them off all season and now he's realised I need to out. win some of the Liverpool fan demographic. No, that's you. I, no I, I'm just very honest and I think they appreciate that. But I, could, <laughs> I, could, I can categorise this title race in a 60-second segment. Fantastic. I'm going to do it now. Okay, so Liverpool should be favourites because they're top, even if Man City win their game in hand. But they've got to play Man City at Anfield. So that technically should make Liverpool favourites. But injuries and volume of games is going to be problematic. Arsenal looking really good, got momentum, but they've got to go to the Etihad and the fragility of their squad, i.e. if Rice gets injured, if Saka gets injured, I think they will plummet. Manchester City would be my favourite still because they've been there, they've done that, they haven't got an injury crisis, they've got an amazing squad and therefore I still think Man City are the favourites. But boy, oh boy, girl, oh girl, and everything else, it is a great title race. And it always is. If Man City, that was the thing at the weekend. I was like, please don't score Manchester City because it just makes the title race more interesting. And if City win it at the end of the season, and they might do, as long as we get a title race into May, at least it makes it a little bit more interesting. Well, and also it's like all the arguments you put up against Arsenal, like they haven't got a recognised striker, where they're just, everyone else is scoring on the pitch. Mm. Set pieces are becoming the number one in the league. They're, they're scoring from every angle that they can. Liverpool, we've spoken about the midfield um, and you know what they're going to do without Salah, where they've just had six to eight weeks without him and, they, and they've been just fine. So I think that's the best thing where City have faltered normally. There's a bit of a chasing pack, like, come on, right, what's, what's your next move? And they've done it. So, I'm excited, mate. We've said we've gone from a five-horse race to a three-horse race to a four-horse race. Now we're back to a... Then it was a one-horse race. So we've got three thoroughbreds racing the way to the line and they've got about six hurdles to jump. Yeah, there you go. So Will's got Liverpool favourites. Who is your favourite? I think... Categorically say now, down that lens, who is your title favourite? I still think Man City win the league, <sighs> but Liverpool are favourites at this moment in time. Like if I, I, odds, I agree with you that Liverpool are favourites because they're 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 top now and they've got to play Man City at Anfield, so they are favourites. My concern with Liverpool is volume of games, and you can't, you know, 
I'd be gutted if, if I was a Liverpool fan because I'd be like, the injuries are ridiculous. Like Jota was going to be this season's Gundogan. He's just found this form. Yeah. Um, I think that I think the volume of games, I mean, they're playing midweek, then they're playing the Carabao Cup, then they've got the FA Cup midweek, then they've got another Premier League game. Liverpool really need to get a squad back because injuries will undo them. Um, yeah, but I think it's going to be really exciting. Actually, talking about Premier League winners, we're going to rank Premier League managers of all time in a moment, but we've just spoken about the title there. We missed it in relation to the the, the top four race. Villa, Spurs, Manchester United. We mentioned last week that apparently there's a 77% chance that there will be a fifth place Champions League spot yeah. for the Premier League. Who misses out? out of a great win for Villa at the weekend to go away after some bad results. Spurs losing at home to Wolves. United getting the job done four wins in a row against Luton. They'll be level with Spurs next week if they beat Fulham at home because Spurs aren't playing because of the Carabao Cup fixture. Who have you got to get... Who's going to miss out on Champions League football if fifth place gets it? So I think we always speak about recency bias and so coming off the weekend you would say Spurs but I almost feel that Spurs defeat is a bit like you know Brighton last season had a fantastic season but mm. they just have that result where it was like the way they play they're going to have that sort of... I'll tell you what stunned me about Spurs was that before the game and I did jinx them and I do have jinx powers if wow. people follow me on Twitter I didn't do it on purpose I was looking at the team news and I saw Spurs front six oh, yeah. and it was Saar, Basuma, Madison, Son, Kulisevsky, Richarlison and I went wow when was the last time they put that front six out? And obviously, I think they had problems at fullback, but they had Van der Ven and Romero as well. And I was like, that's probably the strongest team Spurs have put out in three months. And then they go and lose at home. So, But they are a good team. Yeah, I, no, I think it will be Aston Villa. I think they've got one of the trickier run-ins coming into mm. the final part of the season. So Strength in depth as well. Strength in depth as well. Like, Ollie Watkins is great. I know he was in your top five Premier League uh, strikers in the Premier League right now. But I just... It scores at the weekend he's just got to be consistent mm. and he has had a lot more consistency this season so that's a big worry I, yeah if he if Ollie Watkins was to get injured I think that's worse than I think Spurs can be a bit more manageable with that are we writing off Newcastle completely if it's fifth I think so I mean look we spoke about Newcastle a lot um forgetting their future and their director of football I mean 2-2 uh, draw at home to Bournemouth if you, they're seven points behind Manchester United now and that means they're 12 points behind Villa um, and eight points behind, no, 10 points behind um, Spurs. I think it's too yeah. much. I think they're too inconsistent. And that's a shame for Newcastle, really, because they're probably fighting for Conference League or Europa League. They've got to get Europe, but I don't see them in a top four race, to be honest. No, I, yeah, I, no, I think it would be Spurs and Manchester United. I think it is interesting to see how well this run can go on for Manchester United. Because even yesterday, there was no. I know, like you deserve to win. You were dominant on on the break as well, but like there are there's going to be games where this run this is going to stop soon. And when Man, uh, when Man United run stops, it feels like at this current time, I don't know if it's going to change under Ineos. It's just like toys out the pram car crash everything's wrong after one defeat so mm. I just think it's how you maneuver them yeah. Yeah. it'll be up and downs I'll tell you what though like a squirrel blindfolded running across a motorway who makes it we are blessed we are absolutely <laughs> blessed we've got a title race and we've got a three-way for, for, for the Champions League spots as well. And hopefully we'll get a relegation battle as well. But I tell you what, I think there are some games that just jump out at me. I remember us talking about it at Christmas for weeks before we were talking yeah. about Anfield and Arsenal. Um, we've got, obviously, Anfield, Man City coming up. We've got Etihad, Arsenal, I think, in April. But in early March, we've also got Villa Spurs at Villa Park. I mean, that's going to be a massive game. And one, as a Man United fan, I will sit back with my socks off yeah. in my pants, just going, this is, uh, let's just enjoy ourselves. You could put your, take your pants off and put your socks over your, over your member. Yeah, be really not, that's just filth on a podcast about football, to be honest with you. Um, Mark, if it's all right for you, I'd like to hear from our halftime sponsors. OK, right. We're going to do best top five Premier League managers of all time. This has been kicking off on socials and other areas for quite a few days now. And in my opinion, there is a definitive top five. But we're going to look at it. We're going to analyse it. And you can get in the comments as well and tell us what your top five are. I mean, first of all, I'm going to say, Will, are there any, is there any opposition to these five? Um, we've got Mourinho, we've got Pep, we've got Sir Alex, we've got Klopp and we've got Wenger. Does anybody else come into the debate of top five Premier League managers of all time? 
Uh, well, you've got to be surely looking at like Alex McLeish in there. Obviously, what he did at Birmingham City was yeah, quite... Yeah, we're not having any of this rubbish. I mean, I'm, I was more thinking about Kenny Dalglish winning it with Blackburn. Claudio Ranieri. Ranieri winning it with Leicester. Um, but I, I don't think... I mean, in, in, they are... Well, Klopp's the same as Kenny Dalglish. He's the same as Ranieri. He's only won it once. But I think there's a, there's mitigating circumstances to that. But we want to be fair. Maybe you those listening, those watching, you might have a name that you want to throw in there. There are certainly other Premier League managers who've won the Premier League. Um, I think Ranieri's takes... You could throw Ranieri in there because of the simple fact that he won it with Leicester, but I'm not. I'd like to do a sort of B-Tech version of this, of like, you know, not top five managers of all time, but like those managers of a, a Steve Bruce, a Pardew, uh, a real shithouse top five, because that would be, in my eyes, maybe even better content. Be very niche. Yeah. And uh, you'd do well to probably get 500 listens. But uh, we're doing top five Premier League managers of all time because they are the top five Premier League managers of all time. Right, in at number five. Go on. Uh, I mean, I don't know what your top five is, so I suppose I'll go with my five and then you'll go with your five. In at number five for me is Jurgen Klopp. The reason I've put him in the top five is he's only won the Premier League once. It's nothing to do with recency bias that he's going to retire. It's quite simply because I remember the words, I've got the receipts of WhatsApp sent to Liverpool fans, I'll die before you win the Premier League. And they were like, you're planning on walking in front of a bus? I said, no, I'm planning on living till 108. You will never win the Premier League. And that's a fact. And then Jurgen Klopp, came along. Even then, I didn't think they were going to win the league. And the way that he took a Liverpool team that was so successful when I grew up, I mean, I cannot tell you. People sometimes, you were talking about when you had oysters and you were stuck on the toilet, it was coming out of both ends. Yeah. I have the similar attraction to, not attraction, dissatisfaction towards the tight-fitting candy Liverpool top of the late 80s. Right. I saw that and made me want to throw up because they were so good. Premier League era comes along. They've never won it. Jurgen Klopp rebuilds a club that I just think was always going to fail um, and probably should have more Premier Leagues than he's got as well. I mean, he might have two by the end of the season, but I certainly think Man City, whether they've done the one one five or not, it's, it's still a, a, a juggernaut that in other eras you would have thought Klopp would have won it maybe two, three times. So for me, Jurgen Klopp goes in at number five as the uh, all-time Premier League manager. Yeah, well, I'll, let me critique yours and we'll go through it that way. And I think the main thing with this top five list is you want to bring managers in that have been impactful. Obviously, they've mm. got to have the honest there. But when Jurgen Klopp came in, there was just, as well as on the field, there was just this... It tied in with the sort of breed of players coming in, changing attitudes of like the hugging, everything like that. It felt like the real father figure. Community. And, yeah, exactly. Community, everything going well. And, and he turned round a real shit out of a Liverpool team, didn't he? Mm. he you know, look... Long time ago, not nothing to do with the present. There was a war called World War One. They used to go up out the trenches over a ladder. Uh, I wouldn't be going up it. But if Jurgen Klopp was saying we're going, I, I think I probably would consider it. Yeah. Apart from the fact he's a Liverpool manager, I'd say up yours. I'm not going to follow you. But yeah, he he has brought something into a club. Probably a little similar to what Man United have got at the moment, where great club, great fans, massive following, massive history. But you get locked into years and years of mistakes so much so that you think this is going to take something amazing to turn it around and I think Jurgen Klopp was that I think the biggest thing for Jurgen Klopp and the biggest sort of honour for him is the way that you like him so much as a Man United fan and not the only Man United fan no no not I'm not the only man. And, and, and you're right and I, I don't fans. know how Liverpool fans felt about Sir Alex I think they actually disliked him uh, intensely but Jurgen Klopp most Man United fans I speak to yeah there is a respect there because begrudgingly, I think it coincides with United being really crap as well. Yeah. I think if United were competing with them, there'd be more disdain. Yeah. But but yeah, we, we, we've never been close. So in at number four, um, and tell me if you disagree with any of these at the yeah, end or, or we'll jump in. In at number four, this might be controversial. I've gone with Jose Mourinho in at number four. Interesting. Yeah, which means that I'm putting Wenger above him, Pep above him and obviously Sir Alex, but um, you want to say something about this? No, I, I know why you've put Jose in at number four, really, because you're reflecting back on that Manchester United job and you, you've still got a bit of bitterness towards him, I think, and a, a bit of sourness. And if you don't admit it, you're in the wrong. Actually, I should have said that as a retainer. I'm not including the fact that Mourinho's fell off. Um, look at Wenger's last few years, stayed way too long. I'm actually talking about the success. Um, I think what Jose Mourinho did 
to come in from Porto and take a team like Chelsea that had no pedigree of winning Premier Leagues. And yeah, there'd been a lot of groundwork done. Ranieri, funnily enough, there was a lot of money swilling around and he came into a team that wasn't particularly far off, but he came in with brilliance. And he's won three Premier League titles, all at Chelsea, of course. Yeah, obviously it failed at United. I wanted him at United. But I think Jose Mourinho as a trailblazer in the Premier League, coming in from Porto, what he did that first few years. I mean, haven't they got some ridiculous goals goals conceded record? But they're also, I remember like the likes of Damien Duff and Robin, they were Whoa. banging so many goals in. And I was really concerned because it was United who had to respond to that. And it, and it made Sir Alex build another team with the likes of Ronaldo and Rooney. And we did respond to it. And we did, we, we did end up winning three Premier Leagues in a row after that as well. But when they first came in, that first year of Chelsea with Mourinho and Drogba. And I was just like, oh my God. I I thought they were an absolute juggernaut, the original Manchester City, I suppose. Um, But he would be number four because I think the number three had more impact on the Premier League. Yeah, no, and and looking further down the list, I'd probably have to agree. But I think the the impact in terms of not only just everything that you've said, but like the way that they had that home record for so long and it was so impactful. And then also just the theatre of Jose as well, mm. which I think yeah, brought so office. much in terms of what Sir Alex was managing to do with taking pressure off players and different post-match interviews. Jose dialed up to 10. I mean, he'd get in the laundry basket, wouldn't he, on a stadium ban? Mm. I, I just think at that time, he's probably that Jurgen Klopp of like, the manager that you'd want to most want to most play for at that time. And I think looking back on it, because it was a shorter period of time than I thought it was going to be, I look back on that period with a lot more respect than I did at the time because I wish I'd enjoyed it more because he was box office. He was, you know, completely arrogant and special. Um, But my number three, and the reason I'm going to put Arsene Wenger at number three ahead of Jose Mourinho is, and I, you know, I don't want to talk about age, but I think when I see people saying, you know, De Bruyne is the best midfielder of all time and I look at them and they're probably about 20, I think, but you lived up your mum's chuff for half of the Premier League era. Like, you can't talk about Scholes or Lampard or Gerrard because you didn't see it happen. And I, I you know, this is the this is the upside of age. Mm. I've seen the whole Premier League. You were out your mum's chuff. I was out and happily out for many years before the Premier League happened. <laughs> and <laughs> I've got no intention of going anywhere near... That, as he laughs in the background. Um, but no, I think that Wenger, I remember the Wenger. And, and, and in some ways, it's similar to Arsenal of what Klopp did. Man United were dominant when, because um, remember, Man United basically dominated the Premier League from the start. We won the first Premier League. We had a great team in 94 with the likes of Hughes and Cantona and Bruce, etc. And I think Sir Wenger came in around probably 96, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, and an, Arsenal at that point were a past good club. More recently, George Graham had won the title, I think, in 91 or something like that. But he rebuilt Arsenal in a completely different identity. Arsenal were a park the bus, grind out results. He turned them into the best, I mean, the best period of rivalry in the Premier League for me is Man United and Arsenal in the late 90s. Um, he, he revolutionised the drinking cultures, the fitness, the training, the football they were, and again, I look back on it now with more fondness and respect than I did at the time because they're going toe-to-toe with United and you just dislike them. But he was revolutionary, Wenger, for the Premier League. And not only that, I think he is probably, with Sir Alex, the two-man, and Pep in the modern day, not only were they successful and he won three Premier League titles, he also revolutionised the Premier League. Like so many other clubs copied what he did in relation to style, fitness, you know, professionalism. And I get people will put Mourinho above him because he's more popular. But if, you, if you've watched the entire of the Premier League, it's a recency bias. Wenger had such a massive impact. And also he's damaged a little bit by the fact that he stayed on too long. Yeah, and then just on the Jose Wenger argument as well, not to blow smoke up your chuff, but I think what the thing was there is that Arsene had a bigger overhaul to do than Jose. Yeah, yeah. Like the groundwork was already put in by Ranieri where Wenger was inheriting the, the Tuesday club I think the, the eating habits everything like that and coming from Japan as well he was dismissed by Alex Ferguson yeah, everything yeah. like that the rivalry was absolutely incredible as and, well yeah, and you he know just, the tunnel at Highbury yeah exactly so uh, that, that those were the box office games and you know he did deliver in a, in a lot of those seasons and produce something that's never been done and still hasn't been done in an invincible season. It'll kick off in the comments and by all means, get your top fives in. I mean, I do think Wenger versus Jose is a big debate. And actually, if you take it away from the Premier League, 
obviously Mourinho wins because he's won Champions Leagues, but we're talking Premier League. So it has to be based on what your Premier League impact is. Mourinho is the better coach than Wenger for his whole career, what he's done, what he did at Porto and Inter and Real Madrid. But for Premier League, I'd put Wenger ahead. Number two, very easy. Um, we probably spent more time talking about three, four and five here, but Pep Guardiola slips in at number two very, very comfortably. Um, we're talking Premier League here. I think there are mitigating circumstances. He again walked into a club that had already won the Premier League at Man City. Obviously, we know there was a lot of money swilling around. It was how many right backs do you want before you have that one? But what you can't deny is that there's a lot of teams in the Premier League now who are pressing high up the pitch, passing between the lines, replicating in their own way what, what Man City brought to the Premier League. He's had he's produced two slash three really good teams. Um, although it's about the Premier League, when you win a treble and the Premier League, you've got to take into account the volume of games that takes. Um, development of players, good recruitment, style of football, domination. Yeah, he's had a helping hand, but I still think that you've got to put him above the rest for the impact he's had on the Premier League. Well, I think a good thing to do, if you want to see it in the comments as well, is let this be a better conversation maybe to have off the back of this as well as like best managers of all time because mm. the way Pep has changed football of like I've had to sit through Birmingham City managers trying to pass out from the back and that is thanks to Pep which yeah. is right and wrong knock him down yeah all the way down the pyramid I mean we're at Solly or Moors and probably they try and pass out the back as well don't they so I think that has gone from top to bottom but that's not a Premier League thing that that is obviously more of a wider football thing and yeah, yeah, he's just relentless. And like, maybe it'll come to a point with like Jurgen Klopp. With like, he obviously put so much in to everything that maybe next year or the season after, it'd be interesting if he can get two or three more Premier Leagues in and we revisit this conversation. Will he beat number one? But yeah, a happy number two, which is with me Saturday night after a few too many Guinnesses. I was going to say we always like a happy number two, uh, less wipes and nice. Anyway, number one. We go to Sir Alex Ferguson, and if anybody is debating this, then football's not for you. Please leave, turn off the podcast, and and never come back, because Sir Alex Ferguson, again, it can only be recency bias. This is a guy that came into a broken club in 1986, remodelled it, rebuilt it, recultured it, um, and then on top of that, has won way more Premier League titles than anybody else, with three, four teams, you could argue maybe even five, um, just an absolute footballing giant and great and nobody lays a glove on him. And even if Pep repeated the amount of titles that he's won, I'd still say that Pep walked into a club that was there for him to be successful in. Sir Alex Ferguson rebuilt a football club, much the same way that Wenger and Klopp have, in my opinion, as well. So it's not. I, I don't even need to debate it. He is quite comfortably the greatest Premier League manager by a long, long way. I think it would be interesting if Pep could stay on for three or more. Say he got the same amount of titles, and I know what you're saying about having the resource at the start of it, but then I do think the, the Premier League is a lot stronger mm. in terms of Sir Alex Ferguson would be going up against, you know, like a, a contender each season, whether it was Wenger at the start, then obviously a bit of uh, Mourinho, Rafa Benitez, and, and I was going to say beat them all off. Um, that's obviously a different way of doing it. But I think if Pep can do it, we, we look at a top, we've been speaking about a top four, top five, the league's only going to get stronger. So I wonder if that will come into play maybe. in, in But that is if, buts and maybes. It's still Alex, Alex Ferguson number one and no, no one is going to knock him off the perch. I think the interesting thing with Sir Alex is if you look at our top five, so Klopp five, Mourinho four, Wenger three, Pep two and Sir Alex number one, Sir Alex has beaten off three and four, whereas Pep has beaten off Klopp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it sounded better when I was... Uh, when I, I, I gave you forewarning as well. I know, I know. I sort of carried on. But yeah, I mean, you've, I'd never really thought of it like that, but two of the top five Sir Alex Ferguson went toe-to-toe -to -toe with and outlasted, in yeah. a sense, whereas Pep, yeah, I think the Premier League is harder, but also, you know, uh, the, the, the he's really only had to deal with Klopp. Yeah, and we're also living in a world where Sir Alex Ferguson would have been sacked if it's the same sort of ramifications of yeah, today's world. Yeah. He wouldn't have been given the time that managers don't get now. So, But I think that's changing. I do think that's changing. We well, spoke yeah. about it this year, haven't we? There's a lot less managers been sacked that, that this year, and that's for the good. Anyway, get your comments in below. Let us know what you think about top five Premier League managers of all time. Love that. Right, should we move on? We've got plenty more to discuss. Got some good either-ors here. Do you want to have a look into them to start with? 
Um, I'm feeling Pratt of the Week. All right, you are a Pratt, so um, let's go to Pratt of the Week. You're a Pratt, he's a Pratt, she's a Pratt, they're whiny. Now it's time for Pratt of the Week. One, two, three. Right, plenty of nominations this week. We put it out on Twitter. Me and Mark were texting. We've got so many different nominations. I'll start with the ones that I've got, and mm-hmm. I know you've got some ones that you really want to get into, but I think the main one for me, Mason Holgate. Hmm. Uh, I was getting texts about it. Have you seen this challenge? Go straight onto Twitter. I mean, wow, he nearly nearly killed a man. And the best bit of it all, Mason Holgate nominated, but um, his teammate, whose name I'll butcher, came out in the post-match interview and said he thought it wasn't a red. Yeah. And they're sticking up for your teammate, but then there's also being a Pratt. So there's almost a double nomination there. It, I mean, it was absolutely shocking. Well, I don't know who his teammate is, but even Stevie Wonder tweeted, that's a red. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know what he's on about. Um, yeah, it, I know exactly what he was doing. I've never done it in my career, thank God. You because, definitely will have done it. No, I haven't. I have, I've, 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 put, I've put it in, but I've not done that. <laughs> that's uh, one on way of getting the ball. Yeah, I mean, what he's tried to do is he's tried to kick the ball and follow through. Yeah. And he's missed the ball. So it's even worse. But he, he knows 100% what he's doing. And even if he kicks the ball, it's still a horrific tackle. Like, it's the, it's the difference of, you know, I mean, I'm not going to call him a Pratt because VAR got it right, but I don't know how the referee on the pitch did give a yellow because, again, this is the problem we're yeah. talking about all season. They don't. They haven't played the game. I've played the game. I've seen these tackles. You don't have to play in the Premier League. They'll happen in a pub game he's gone to kick the ball and then his foot's followed through to do that the only miracle is is that Matoma wasn't injured the fact that when I looked at the I went on BBC after that to see if Matoma had been subbed off and then I remembered he wasn't in my FPL anyway but I was like how's he got up from that Holgate's really lucky because that could have been a career ender it could have been a season ender the fact that Matoma's played on actually we shouldn't even be talking about because it you know it was horrific and also from a Sheffield United fan point of view and player and manager, they beat Luton. They've got a very slim chance of staying up. You've got Brighton at home, who Luton beat. If you follow that up with a win, mm-hmm. who knows? It's nil-nil, and you're putting a tackle in like that. It's it's just self, it's selfish stupidity, and it's a red card, whether you get the ball or not. It's just ridiculous. And and the game's over then. Yeah, right. Who's your first nomination? My first nomination is uh, I'm going to go Rio Ferdinand actually Pratt of the Week because um, I got this I actually tweeted this off at Mark Goldbridge any contenders for Pratt of the Week and I wouldn't have put him in I was halfway there so basically in late November he was asked about Saka or Doku and he said Doku I'd pay money to watch Doku Doku's the man and I thought well look okay that was in that was when Doku was playing really really well but then I thought well no it's still a Pratt of the Week contender and then apparently last week he said that Saka's not world class so it sort of combines to make Pratt of the Week by forging the two because I don't care whether it was in November or after Doku's best ever game at no point has Doku ever put in a consistency of performance that Saka has over the last three years on no level is Doku better than Saka in any situation? And yes, Doku's not doing very well at the moment, and Saka is. But even in November, Saka had the rich tapestry of a CV of consistency and deliverance that he is the most important player for Arsenal, whereas Doku had had a couple of good games. I just think it's... I mean, look, Rio is a really good player for Manchester United and occasionally does come out with a good opinion. But that, to me, is absolutely prattish to say that Saka is not as good as Doku and you'd rather watch Doku over Saka. It's it's incredible. As for whether he's world-class, Will, I was asked this at the weekend, is Saka world-class? I get why people sometimes think maybe not, and I've spoken to a few people about this, but is he in the top 10 players in the world? Yes, he's therefore world-class for me. His consistency, his importance to Arsenal, the fact that most top clubs in the world would want him, I think he's. I, I think you've got to start putting him in that world-class category. Yeah, and also he's sort of come through that adversity, hasn't he? he? Had a bad run of form, you know. Even everything that happened after Euros, he came through that and smashed it. And I think overall, like this doesn't come into ability in top ten rankings. It just seems like I'm so glad he plays for England because he seems like I think even when you look at that England teams and the behind the scenes thing, he just seems like such a good character. So uh, the more the more he can be at the best of his game, and like we've just got such a good window of like. The next mm. ten years with like with Saka and Bellingham and everything, we'll go on to in another episode. So yeah, no, I, I agree with you, which pains me inside. But I think what the problem is, I mean, the definition of world class is mm. an interesting thing because it's very personal and subjective. Um, some people have sixty players that are world class at any one time, you know. So they're even putting in people like Kyle Walker. For me, ten, probably ten. 
And if they're all attackers or midfielders, then you might have a few extras where you go, Alisson's a world-class goalkeeper. But the reason... The, re- the, the criticism I see for Saka is, oh, we had a bad month in January. We've got to move past this whole messy Ronaldo. We, we were blessed. I've said it twice. We were blessed God three bless times. You. Messi and Ronaldo were subhuman. Their consistency was disgusting. It was unbelievable. Any other player is... Ne- if we get another player like Messi and Ronaldo that can play consistently well every single game, they're not world-class. They are universe-class. World-class players will have dips in fitness, in form. That's what will happen. And, and that will naturally happen with an Mbappe. It will happen with a Neymar. It will happen with a Haaland. It will happen with a De Bruyne and it will happen with a Saka. Well, yeah, you say all that though. I do think we've got the the sort of next Ronaldo, Messi, Bellingham. revolution, Jude Bellingham in Maybe. that. But I also think we won't get anyone to those sort of levels because individual is, individualism is going out of football, isn't it? And, and I want it back. I want it back as well. And that's a debate. Pe- for that's an, Pep's fault. Debate for another day. A debate for another day as well. We could individually go away, do some homework and not be rushed on it as our top 10 players in the world right now. Well, that's, we're going to do that. We're yeah, going to do that. Get that written down. We'll but do yeah, that. I just think it's so systematic, formulaic. Pep's fault. Where, yeah... Yeah, I, yeah, Pep's fault. We're never going to get a Mourinho or a, a Messi or he's, he's messing me up. No, I think we will. I think it's a great football. I don't think we top. will. I, I, I just think football is so formulaic now. It's so structured. Bellingham's it's... very, very, very good and very, like, he, he can reach those levels of consistency at the high level. But in terms of those individual moments of brilliance, he does and he and he probably can get even better at, but just the positions of Messi and Ronaldo, he isn't going to have that every week. But it makes me laugh because I see, you know, my daughter plays football, Seb plays football, and, you you, you know, so I hang around a lot of uh, amateur football and you speak to parents, you see the stuff they put up on Instagram of what their kids are doing, and it's like Mbappe project, Mbappe project. Yeah. And, I, and, and it makes me laugh, Will. Yeah. It makes me laugh because I'm like, you're doing all these individual skills and this, that and the other. Is anybody doing that in the highest level of football? No. no, it's all about structure, reading the game, passing between the lines. I've said it before. I long for the Gascoins of this world and the Zidans of this world because I tell you what, Pep's structure doesn't work if someone takes someone else on and goes past Rodri. That defence has got to step out and the space. I think there is an evolution of football coming, but at the moment it is very structured, which is why people like Jack Grealish are failing at Man City because he can't, you know, it's not his game really to do that. Should be the Lukas Jukovic project if you've got a young child. Just yeah. teach them how to get to the back post, head it down and be very effective. Well, it's the Phil Foden project, isn't it? Pass and move, little glide, you know, there Not we go. For me. Not, Not for, for me. me. Uh, Not for me. One, everyone, that was a big nomination on Twitter was Michael Beale. Now, before we get into this, Blues did beat Sunderland. Massive sold-out house at St Andrews. Also, big shout-out to Tony Mowbray. Uh, news came out this morning. He's going to be off work for the next six to eight weeks with a bit of an illness. They're selling no, just it out. to people at home, if this sounds like it's a foreign language, he's talking talking about the championship and Birmingham and Sunderland. Yes, and I'm also talking about Tony Mowbray, so from Wish him all the best. Yes, wish him all the best. He'll, he'll get better soon. Um and we'll be back firing. But in that game, Michael Beale, who's had a bit of criticism of Sunderland manager, some of the fans, well, a majority of the fans not for him, player walks off, uh, Trey Hume, who he's bought off. Definitely can see him in his peripheral vision yeah. and he's trying to shake his hand, just completely ignores him. But he had a bad game? Oh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't see his full game. But regardless of that, if you're, you still do a little acknowledge. No. No, oh, come on. If that player's let you down and let your fans down, and then he's I there, think it was one-one at the time. He's there wanting to shake your hand, and you think he's had a bad game. What a better way to let him know you're not happy with him. No. Oh, you're so I, woke, Will. No, you've Will, got Will the woke. You've got to read the situation, Mark. Which I think. Like, I don't know the I don't know the situation. Well, exactly. I'm just adding another side. Yeah, I think I could do a bit of like a maybe a section of like educating Mark where we can look at I've seen of, loads. Of, I've seen Mourinho do it. I've seen managers yeah, when somebody gets sent off or where they get sent off job. and you're not happy about it. No, let 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 the manager manage. Well, uh, yeah, Michael Beals in there for me. What have you got one final one? Um, I have got one more. I don't know whether we'll wait for next week to do it, but um it, well, no, why wait till next week? Basically, he's been at it again. He may as we may as well hand oh, him God. the Pratt the season award now because he absolutely betters himself every week. I mean, he has absolutely got the market well and truly sewn up on stupid takes. So his latest one is having moved from Vidic, he's now saying that Gary Neville was overrated at right back as well. It's your favourite Pratt. It's of course, Gabby Ogbonglahor. And look, what it actually got me thinking about is not him, um, was actually 
the sort of Gary Neville um, uh, assessment. And obviously, I know Gary's not a big fan of uh, my work. Maybe, maybe a fan of yours. No, I'm not throwing you in there. Which is absolutely fine. But I don't run agendas based on things like that. There are players I don't like that are legends of the game. That's that's established. But I've got no problem with Gary Neville anyway. But what I will say is there seems to be this constant thing that Gary Neville wasn't a very good right back because he's very humble in relation to, oh yeah, I was rubbish. You know, I just used to run around a bit. It was the players around me. God, no. It's a bit like what I was saying about Wenger then. He was playing in Euro 96 before anybody else as a, as a young player. Venables had him in that Euro 96 starting team that went to the semi-final. He was a fundamental part of two or three Manchester United sides. He fell off massively at the end. And I respect the fact that he said, look, I can't do it anymore, which a lot of players don't do. But I've seen him play for England up against Figo and have a very, very good game. Defensively, very, very disciplined. On the overlap, funnily enough, very, very good and a good name for a podcast because he was very good on the overlap. A lovely cross, very good in the air, uh, very tidy player, read the game really, really well. I think that comfortably goes down as one of the best right backs England have ever produced and arguably the best right back in Premier League history. And just because he says I wasn't, doesn't mean that it's an open door to everyone to say, well, he said that. It doesn't really matter what he said. Two you things. know, when he's dead, he's not he's gonna turn up as a ghost and go, Well, Manchester United, I was a rubbish right back. It won't for me, he goes down again, as somebody who's seen the whole Premier League, he goes down as one of the best right backs ever in the Premier League. And also a massive message to everybody who wants to be a footballer. We're not all born with God given talent like Cristiano Ronaldo. Gary Neville, like like other players, is a player that it's probably no better than any of us at 10 years of age. But the work rate, dedication and learning took him to that level. And that's, I think those people, for me, immortals like us, those people are better role models than, than someone like Ronaldo, who clearly has some sort of God-given physique and agility. Gary Neville would have been no better than us, apart from the fact that he worked hard, dedicated himself to the game and, and, and not only made it as a footballer, but he's in this conversation now to be one of the best if not the best Premier League right back ever. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Gabby. Two things I'll say. Fantastic audition for the overlap there. We'll get that clipped out <laughs> and send that over. <laughs> That's never happening. Lovely stuff That's there. never happening. And then two, you've got to go back to the start of the argument. It all stems from Gabby Agbonglahor. Yeah. We have got to, if you want to stop leave him it, out. you've got, yeah. maybe we can do a bit of therapy. Well, we will leave it out, but, no, but I mean, in terms of like, he knows exactly what yeah, he's doing. hundred percent. It's a bit like, he's, he's just another Joey Barton in the sense that he knows what he's saying. And um, that's funny enough. I saw Joey Barton doing, you know, he, he's got his own YouTube channel. We're shouting out a little bit, but he did some watch along for, I think it was last Monday night. Right. And it was absolute crap. If he's having a pop at women commentators and, you know, Thogden and people like that, it was the most boring. I'd, ra I'd rather have watched a fence be painted and dry. It was rubbish. And if that's what insider knowledge gives you. But look, yeah, I, I agree. These people are doing it for the for the for that. But what what it did do, the only positive was that it actually made me think, well, my, my point is that Gary Neville is very depreciating of, yeah, his, no, of, his, of his talent. It's a British thing though as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, fine. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the fact that he was a very, very good right back. I don't care what he's like as a person. I've never met him. It doesn't matter. I don't particularly like John Terry. And off the pitch, maybe he's a bit of an obed. But I will always say, it doesn't matter what I think about him as a person. As a centre-back, I think he's one of the best Premier League centre-backs. Yeah, I, just, I think it's football that, at the end of the day. We're watching football, aren't we? We don't I, need to go. On, we don't need to marry him. We don't need to go on a date no. with him. And also, like right backs, only probably become sexy in the last three or four years. So we do, probably don't need to have too much chat about yeah. overlapping and Gary Neville's. And but yeah. if you, if you want to get on there, like, I tell you, don't like, I can tell you, don't like him. I like Gary Neville. Met him twice. Right, he was nice. Let's move on. Uh, Pratt of the week is going to be you choose. Mm, it's your podcast. What, what, what would you go for? I'd go for. I'd just go for that whole Holgate situation. Yeah. Because I think it's such a bad tackle that if we don't call him a Pratt for that, then what are we doing as a saves football podcast? I who mean, are we? Who are we? It's just disgusting, and it needs calling out. Mason Holgate, you're a Pratt. You're a Pratt. He's a Pratt. She's a Pratt. They're whiny. Now it's time for Pratt of the week. One, two, three. Right, let's move it on now to the either ors. We've got some good ones I wanted to test. We've got to give on. these trainers away. Oh, do you, you want to do that now? Yeah, yeah. We've got well, a winner. Uh, so do I visually need to show? Well, I'll visually show them just for yeah. a yeah. fast mover. Um, Will hasn't been wearing them all weekend. No, I'm sorry. Oh, guess what? I cleared my garage out yesterday. Go on. And uh, I found a pair of light blue Adidas Predators with like 
you know, the, the sock bit there. Oh, no, really? Yeah. I might give them away on right. Friday. Nine, size nine. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so our winner is... Our winner is um, Harry Bond. Thank you for sending in your team of Alison Walker-Stones, Van Dyke, Robertson, De Bruyne, Rodri, Saboslai, Salah, Haaland, Saka. I'll get in touch with you on Instagram and slide into your DMs. They're a size nine. We've told you this. So if they don't fit, that's your fault. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Well done, Harry. Harry Bond, not James. We'll do some... Um, We'll do some more quizzes going, some more competitions well, going I, forward. I found those football boots, so I'll give them away. You definitely. Clear your garret. I've got, uh, we're doing a hammer and some rusty nails. They've, going. Ne- they've never been worn. They're mm. in the box. You sign them? I don't know where I got them from. If you sign them, they might get a bit more, uh, bit more engagement. Friday, pair of Predators in a size nine. They're not the new style Predators, but they're well, still I mean, good. I've not worn them beyond your head. I'm not giving them away. Oh, no, they're mine. Um, right, either or. So let's have a look at them. Big weekend, some big decisions, some big talking points. I wanted to start with one that was sent to me on Twitter. Uh, Bruno Fernandes or Ma- Ma- Bruno Fernandes or Martin Odegaard? Uh, it's easy. Um, it's Martin o- Odegaard for me. Uh, I think Bruno Fernandes, um, funnily enough, United have played really well recently, but he's just been playing pretty average. Um, I, I think I was saying this to some United fans, we've got to stop bigging up Bruno Fernandes for playing more games in the last 18 months than anybody else because it's very obvious he's knackered. He's he's fatigued. Um, obviously, he's partly to blame for that. I don't think he ever doesn't want to play. But he looks like a player like Arsenal. He needs a holiday. He needs a break. Whereas Odegaard, over the last 18 months, Odegaard is, is, is the better number 10 at the moment. He's more tidy. He's more careful with the ball. And he's had way more uh, of an impact on his team. I love Bruno Fernandes. I don't get involved in the captaincy argument. I think he is a, a really important for United. But at the moment, I'd say Odegaard's offering, op, uh, consistently operating about a 7 8 slash nine out of 10, whereas Bruno's consistently operating way below what he should be doing. I'd say he's more around a six. So yeah, at the moment, it's not even recency bias. I think 18 months isn't recency bias. You'd have to say Odegaard, unfortunately. Right, let's move on to the next one because I'm keen to get your opinion on this one. Uh, Good weekend for both of them. Uh, Sort of fine in form. Darwin Nunes or Rasmus Hoyland? And it can't just be, oh, I've interviewed him. We're best mates. You've got to be objective here. I've interviewed Rasmus as well. Um, Rasmus Hoyland or Darwin Nunez I'm a big fan of both of these players Um, I think that uh, in some ways Darwin Nunez has similarities to Rasmus with his ability to press high up the pitch uh, run the channels unselfish as well so big fan of Darwin Nunez and I thought that finish against uh, Brentford was brilliant you know considering he could have done the sweaty Pass to Jota and and they took it on. It was an absolutely brilliant finish. And I think he's very, very confident. Um, It's close between these two. And I suppose the Liverpool fans and or the Darwin Nunez fans will say, we've got to go with Darwin Nunez because he's older. He's done more in his career. But I think for what Rasmus has done in a shorter period of time, and he's still not getting any service, if I'm building, if if I'm basically the way I'm doing this is who do I want to play up front for me and my team? I would go Rasmus over Darwin Nunez. But I tell you what, I would love to have both players because I think they'd complement each other really well. And I think in the modern game, you can't just have one striker. So if you had to, if you started Darwin Nunez off and he gets tied after 70 minutes and you bring Rasmus on, that to me would be perfect. It's just a show move that I've just done Pratt of the Week because I think you'd be straight in there for a comment right. like that. Darwin Nunes for me, just far and away. I think oh, he's just he's trying to uh, trying to lay, trying to take that Liverpool uh, demographic, a... isn't he? I'm not. You I are. mean, you've been at it hard all week. No, I've not. All I've, season. I've, been, I've been low down. All no, I've said is that no. Jurgen Klopp has rebuilt that midfield in a way I've never seen a team rebuild a midfield. And I said that in August. I didn't know they were going to be in a bloody title race. You know what you're doing. No, I think. No, I think. I played the game. Darwin Nunes for me. Just, and I think that goal against Brentford su- summarises it perfectly because sort of a bit low on confidence with some of the recent misses, still scoring, but just goes back at it. And like you said, just doesn't try to take it around the keeper, doesn't pass it off. Scoops, great goal. Proper like Roy of the Rovers type striker, just someone that's consistently just going at it. Keep Rasmus keep... of the Rovers, you mean? No, no, steady on. You've had your time. And I just think that for me, he's the, the epitome of what I'd want in a striker of that sort of just works hard, very good finisher, and he's only going to get better. Okay, you've gone with that. That's absolutely fine. Um, what, um, what about, uh, got any others? Yeah, we've got um, one here that's been doing the rounds a lot on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, a bit of an England debate. Both, or one or the other, or neither, but the either or is um, Ross Barkley or K- Kobe Mainu for England. Oh, 
it's a, it's a good one, that, because I say Conor Gallagher. But the bottom line is, <sighs> Kobe Mainu's hardly played any football. Ross Barkley is coming towards the end of his career. Um, who's the better player? Well, I'm going to build a team around Kobe Mainu because he's younger. Um, who's had the better career? Obviously, Ross Barkley because he's older. Who would I take to the Euros? I don't think either player will start. So I suppose you've got to choose between a player that's experienced with no longevity or a younger player that's shown that they can deal with football who has longevity. So I would go Kobe Mainu because I think you should always be looking to the future. And that's exactly what we did with Jude Bellingham. So I would go Kobe Mainu. But Ross Barkley, for whatever reason, is smack bang in form at the moment. He played well against United at uh, the weekend again. But my signings of the season as well and you laughed and you scoffed and there was actually a comment on Spotify saying uh, on Twitter saying we shouldn't be laughing as much now should he yeah alright yeah we'll have that Kobe Mainu uh, it's also mad as well isn't it because Ross Bartley's only 23 which is absolutely ah, outstanding yeah, yeah. Um, uh, turn the numbers round uh, final one here uh, you walked in the studio today you looked me dead in the eyes and you said I don't think Erlen Haaland would start for Liverpool <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at a very true statement. That's <laughs> yeah, what you said. I think right here, right now, Jurgen Klopp would not start Erling Haaland Mental. for Liverpool. Now, I, people are going to moan about this, and this is not me trying to be Gabby Ogbonglahor or, or or anybody else. I'm not saying something stupid. For I actually think Erling Haaland is the best striker, penalty box striker in the world. But the way that Liverpool play, I don't think Jurgen Klopp would give up a Darwin Nunez or a Jota or a Salah or a Diaz for an Erling Haaland. I think it would completely disrupt the way they play. I think in some ways he's perfect for Manchester City because what Pep wants is all those Fodens and De Bruyne's and and, um, the creativity and he wants Erling Haaland to be the focal point for that creativity. And we saw that, all right, he didn't score against Chelsea, but we see that time and time again. Erling Haaland as part of the build-up play, running the channels unselfishly, like Darwin Nunez does, like Jota does, the number nine for Liverpool isn't really the focal point of the team. He's not really just hanging around the penalty box. He's all over the place. And I just think if if right here, right now, Erling Haaland doesn't start for Liverpool for those very specific reasons. If it's the summer and you're going to rebuild your team, uh, Erling Haaland's the best striker in the world, he probably does start. But right here, right now in this title race, if you said to Jurgen Klopp, do you want the best striker in the world? He'll say no. I think you're absolutely... I, mean, I can see why you push Pratt of the week forward because that that is probably the worst thing you've said, not only in this studio, but in any studio. I've explained it. Um, you only got to look at what Haaland did at Dortmund. Some of them goals, he turns no. into Thor on the ball. So the if way you put shot. Erling Haaland up front for Liverpool, they win the league? I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying that, and I think they. That's what ever... we're talking about. No, you no, 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 no. He doesn't no. start for Liverpool at the Let moment. Let me speak, Simon. You said Erling Haaland wouldn't start for Liverpool. That's the, the statement at the moment. At the moment. Yeah. yeah, I think that all you've got to do is look at what he did at Dortmund, and that just disproves what you've said there completely. Why? Because he was doing those things there, and he was scoring. He wasn't just a penalty. Dortmund don't play like Liverpool. He, he wasn't just a penalty box merchant as well. Like the, they don't the guys... use a number nine like that. Is no. what I'm saying. I think he, he would have to change the way he plays. He'd be saying everything. He bite your hand off. Everything's got to go. Yeah, but we're in a tight right here, right now. Liverpool have got a rhythm and a style of play. You put Erling Haaland in the team. It's, it's like it's like Newcastle when they were 12 points clear in January '96, and they went and bought a Sprilia. Brilliant player completely ruined the way they played. No, you I, wouldn't do it. You wouldn't no. change it right now. I think Haaland adapted to Pep system very quickly and, and quicker than we've probably seen with most players. Well, it's, but that's he, the whole point of either or, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm, and I'm just giving my side yeah. of it. If you want to fight, we'll go outside. It's not mate. meant to be like a, a. It's not meant to be like an absolute route. Otherwise, what's the point? No, but I'm saying Erling Haaland would definitely start for, for Liverpool. It's not like I'm saying like some people do. Erling Haaland's a flop. Like, I'm not no, saying he's the best. I'm not saying the, you are. He's the best striker in the world. Just, I'm just saying he wouldn't start for Liverpool at the moment. I tell you, he'd start for. Arsenal yeah he'd, 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 he'd uh, literally start for anyone no he would he wouldn't start for Man United either well maybe rush, we, we actually just got heated there yeah good I like it um, right it's talk about heat it's the it's the best time of the day what's the score it's currently uh, Goldbridge 8 Brazier 3 is this the one where we've got the forfeit for this one or is that Goldbridge no that's Goldbridge because ah, it's Too closer many. it's closer isn't it yeah so guess who it's 8-3 not done this in the flesh 8-3 to guess who me um, so Basically, five clues to guess the player. Whoever does it in the least clues gets the point for the week. Uh, do you want to go first? You're, you're champion's advantage, so you choose what you want to do. Mate. I'll go first this time. Go okay. on. Come and read them out. Okay, lovely. Um, right. Clue number one. I have won the Premier League twice. 
Okay, um, I've won the Premier League twice. Um, I'm going to go with Steve Bruce. Incorrect. I won it with Manchester City, played 130 times and I scored 50 goals for them. 130 times, 50 goals and I did it with Man City. Sergio Aguero. Incorrect. I took my nation to their first World Cup in 2014 after being the top goal scorer for them in qualification. First World Cup in 2014 after being their top goal scorer at Dzeko. Correct. Very good from you. And you were you were very quick off the mark there. The other clues were I played for Roma into Milan and Fenerbahce and I scored in the famous Aguero yeah. game. Um, arguably another either or. Well, that's not, it's not an either or. No. Uh, is Dzeko one of the most underrated players in modern football? Yeah. I'd, I'd say two I'd put him up there with. Emil Heskey. No, you're wrong. You're very wrong. You've ruined it now. Okay, so I got that in clue three. Yes. This is Will needs to get this done quicker. I've got my little red book full of stuff, this. So this um, is your life? Clue number one. I'm... Uh, Played in France. I'm... Can't read your own writing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I've just done little... <laughs> I've done bullet points here and this is not good. Uh, I'm 30 years of age and the number I wear is number 15. Ross Barkley. No. Uh, clue number two... I've got 49 caps for England and I've got three goals. So I'm 30 years of age. I've got 49 caps for England, three goals, and I wear the number 15. For your club? He's, he's known for wearing them. That's the number. I don't know what he wears for his current club because he's on loan at the moment. But uh, Jordan Henderson? No. Good guess, though. You might get this to level it up. I started my career in Portugal. So 30. Eric Dyer. Yes. Thank you. There you go. Get in. Clue four would have been, I'm on loan at Bayern. Eric Dyer. And clue five would have been, I'm Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer. <laughs> I had to do it really quickly. Well, that was done. a good one, that. So what did you think of him? Um, I like knowing your workings out. Uh, I think I was thinking, I think you said something about, how I literally did this two minutes before the show. You were talking about Harry Kane and I was like, I Bayern, need to do, yeah, yeah, nice. so I went by him. Yeah. Didn't even bring that up. We can I thought he's on loan. Bring that up on a later date. First big pod in the pub. Yeah. Real success. I really was panicking for guess who in the flesh because normally when we do it remote, yeah. I'm writing little notes. And what people can't see is you're on the screen going, have that and that's really off-putting as well. There we go. Uh, fantastic podcast. Really enjoyed it. Uh, loads for you to get your comments in as per usual. Uh, keep supporting the Goldbridge Saves Football podcast now that we're in the pub. Uh, got lots, uh, got a guest on Friday actually, Will. Yeah, it'd be very exciting. Yeah, very, very exciting. Uh, we've got loads of stuff planned now. So uh, make sure if you're watching on YouTube, etc., you give us a listen. Uh, thanks everyone for watching. Uh, thanks very much to Will. Thank you, mate. I'll see you soon. See you soon.